Good morning. My name is JD. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to uh, be with you this morning. Uh, I'm thankful that you have chosen uh, to be with us this morning. I uh, just wanted to make sure that you uh, are welcomed and that, uh, and that you are um, here with uh, receiving glad tidings from the members who are with us that, that we are gathering together on the Lord's Day every Sunday to study uh, God's Word and to open it before us. We're uh, starting a new series here in the book of John, so you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible uh, that you would call your own, uh, up underneath the seat or seat around you is a Bible, a provided Bible. Feel free to use that today, but also to take that with you. Uh, that's a gift from us to you. We, we would love for you to have that and to study it and to read it, especially as we uh, kind of go through and start uh, the book of John. And so um, John is considered a gospel, but is unique from the what we call the synoptic gospels, uh, those that are more alike of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so as we begin this study, I want to just ask of you a couple of things. So just a couple of things that you can be doing uh, this week uh, and throughout the process, to, throughout the, uh, our time in the book of John, uh, to do a couple of things, just encourage you to do a couple of things. First thing is this, that you would take this week, that you would take this week and you would read uh, the whole book of John. That you would read the whole book of John. Takes about an hour and forty-five minutes for the average reader, and uh, that you would take it and just read it. You could break that up into twenty minutes a day uh, for five or six days, and uh, and you would read through the whole book of the Gospel according to John. And I would really recommend that. Uh, the other thing that I would do, I think it would prepare your heart to do that. The other thing I would do is that uh, if you have a family, if you have other people that you're living with that you would use this time going through the book of John uh, to, to, to begin or to uh, endorse or to consider doing family worship together using uh, the book of John. So if you don't have a regular time of gospel discussion, um, th that you would use this time together in the book of John to talk about Jesus with your, with your spouse or with your children or even with your friends, that y'all would do that together, that y'all would uh, meet together, talk about the book of John, and you know, inundate yourself in the book of John because it has a lot to say to us. It has a, a lot to say to us. And I just encourage you uh, to do those things, that the gospel would seep deep into not only your hearts, uh, but the hearts of your uh, your children as well. Uh, so we, as we think about this, the book of John, an overview, as we think about who is Jesus, I wonder how many of you have ever made the mistake that I've made before, right? Where I think I recognize somebody, uh, maybe from behind, maybe from afar, and I'll call out to them, hey, hey, man, it's so good to see you. And then as you get closer, you realize what? It's not the person I thought it was. That's not the person I thought. So you, you usher in a, an apology of, man, so sorry, I thought you were someone else, right? You know? And so I can even remember uh, walking what I thought was alongside my wife, and uh, we're walking along, and I, I reached over to grab her hand, only to realize that it wasn't my wife. And uh, so you can imagine the look that she gave me, and the aghast on my face to go, oh, I am so sorry. Uh, that, was, that was not intentional, I promise. Uh, so sometimes we just we have mistaken identity, right? We 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 uh, interpret someone uh, 
someone who thought who it was and was not that person at all. And so uh, it reminds me of a story of uh, a, a, a CNN photographer who called his, called his boss and said, you know, I could cover this story better if we were to charter a plane. He was going to cover a story uh, on a fire that was, that was going across the valley in California. He said, I could cover this story better. I could take better photos if I could, if I could get a plane chartered so that we can, uh, so I can fly and get air, aerial views. And so the, the, he calls his boss and says, hey, can we do this? And the boss gives him uh, the affirmative, hey, go ahead. Uh, I'm giving you an approved request, and uh, you can go and charter a plane. So he calls the airport, local airport, and says, hey, can I charter a plane? And they said, of course, yes, you can charter a plane. We'll have it for you. We'll have it on the runway uh, when you get here, and we'll escort you right through. Just let us know when you, when you arrive. And so the CNN photographer, he arrives. He is escorted to, uh, he goes to the plane that, that's on the runway, warmed up and ready to go, and he, and he gets, on the, gets on the airplane, and he hollers out to the, to the uh, pilot and said, let's go, let's go, let's get in the air. I got to do what we got to do. He says, uh, says, all right. So they put the plane into the wind. They're going. He says, hey, I need you to fly over across the valley so I can get some good pictures. And the, the pilot looks at him kind of funny and says, fly over the valley. Why, why would we fly over the valley? He's like, well, I'm, I work for CNN, and I'm, I'm looking to take pictures of the forest fire. And so the, the pilot pauses. He gets a kind of a look on his face that turns a little bit white. He goes silent and see an in photographer asks him, what, what's the problem? He says, just, just so we're clear, the pilot responding back to him says, just so we're clear, you're not my flight instructor. So you can imagine mistaken identity sometimes can be not harmful, as in just reaching over and grabbing a hand of a stranger, right, by accident, to getting on a plane with someone who has learned how to take off but not land. And, uh, and so uh, credentials are important. There are times where it is imperative to have the right identity. There's an imperative to knowing, uh, that's, that knowing someone's credential and their identities are, matter, are important matters of sometimes life and death, of, of, uh, of whether or not it's in a plane. And so... Uh, Greg Gilbert, in his book, says, uh, in his book, Who is Jesus? If you've never read it, it's a small little nine marks book. I recommend that you would read that. Uh, says this, the most important question you and I will ever consider is who is Jesus? The most important question that you and I will ever consider and the rest of the world is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus just a prophet? Is he just John the Baptist? Is he, uh, is he just a good teacher? Or as C.S. Lewis says, is he a liar or a lunatic? Or is he Lord? There's much debate. Uh, there was much debate in the time that this was originally written, the book of John, about who Jesus was. There's much debate in our day and age about who Jesus is. So turn with me to the book of John, chapter 7. And we're going to be kind of moving back and forth a little bit uh, in this book today because this is an overview. This is an overview, and I'll tell you where we're heading in just a second. But I kind of want to bring this out. Seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 40. It 
When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, no, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people who, over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers said, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And so there was division over who Jesus was. Is he the prophet? Is he the Christ that comes from Galilee? Is he from the line of David? Where does Bethlehem fit into all this? This was what they were debating. And so my, my hope here, that as we walk through the book of John, and the, the hope of the other preachers who will be preaching, is that you would be able to confidently answer that question of who is Jesus with confidence. That you would have a good understanding of who is Jesus. Because what John gives us is an unfolding in the gospel. In his gospel, as we walk through this book, that will help us to see that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the son of the living God. And maybe you're here and you go, well, Pastor J.D., I already believe that. I already know this. I already know it to be true, so do I have to even come and attend? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes because we want to make sure that we are continually reminding ourselves of the goodness of the gospel. That we keep, constantly keep it on the forefront of our minds of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. So a group of us who will be preaching this book and some of the ones who will be leading in worship got together and we said, all right, where do we start? Where do we start? We always try to start with a main idea. Sometimes that's really hard. You ever figured out like the main idea of the book of Exodus? You ever sat down and like, man, what is the main idea of the book of Exodus? Right? Sometimes it's just hard to figure out the main idea of a book because there's, it, it encompasses so much. But, thankfully... Guys like John have given us the main idea of the book in his word. So look at John chapter 20, verse 20. Oh, verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, or I have written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Okay, made our decision easy of what the main idea would be. 
We kind of narrowed it down a little bit more, and you can probably see it on the screen. It says that you would be, that main idea is believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. Eternal life. John talks about abundant life. That you may have life to the full. That you would have life. A life that gives. A life that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why John wrote this book. For those in Jerusalem, that they would believe, that they would see that Jesus is the Christ. And so as I thought about the book of John, I, I think I can break it down into about four or five sections. I broke it down into five large sections that work out like this. There's a prologue that I'll read here in a second. There is a revealing of Jesus continually revealing himself. There is a reviling where he receives opposition to what he has said about himself as being the I am, being God in the flesh. But then in the Passion Week, the final week, chapters 13 through 20, we see the response. And then we get this beautiful epilogue in the end here in John 21. So we see a prologue, a revealing, a reviling, a response, and an epilogue. And the thing is, it's not quite clear. It's not quite clean, I mean. Not clean. It's, it's not quite clean because Jesus continually reveals himself over and over again throughout the book. There's reviling that happens from the beginning to the end. And there's actually responses to Jesus all the way through. But as you break down the book, you can break it down into these three categories pretty clearly as it happens almost immediately. So we see this beautiful prologue here in the book, uh, in the beginning of John. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as we read beginning in Genesis chapter 1, that let, let us make man in our own image, let us, be, uh, let us make creation, let us begin to uh, make creation and, and to build things, and it takes six days to, to, to bring about the, the earth and the waters and the deeps, that Jesus was there. That the triune God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son was present in this. And so in the beginning was the Word. So we see here that the Word is capitalized. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus has always been ever-present and working in creation to bring about redemption. So all things were made through Christ. You see this also in Colossians. And without him was not anything made that was made. So we get this beautiful prologue from John chapter 1. We'll go much further into this next week as we break this down. But then we see a revealing. We see a revealing to John the Baptist. Look at one chapter 1, verse 29. 
The next day, John the Baptist, not to be mistaken for John the Apostle here that we see writing this book, two different people. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I come baptizing water, but he will be revealed to Israel. There's a, there's a revealing that is going to be happening. There's a revealing that John the Baptist, has, as a precursor to Christ, as one who would come and lay the foundation and speak about the one that will come, that we see this revealing. And then we see Jesus revealing himself to the disciples. Look at verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God again. And the two disciples heard him say this. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. And then we get the calling of Philip and Nathaniel in verses 43 and on. And Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples as he calls them to follow him. Then we get to John chapter 2 and we see Jesus revealing himself through miracles and signs, through the changing of water to wine. As we see Jesus working. We see Jesus revealing himself over and over and over again, even to the Jews. Chapter 2, verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, verse 14, in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple. Yes, Jesus was revealing who he was even to the Jews. And even more so, what would have been surprising is that he was revealing himself to the Samaritans. Those who were against the Jews. We see in chapter 5 that he was revealing himself to the Jewish leaders as he heals on the Sabbath. And then as Jesus feeds the 5,000, he reveals himself, yes, to the multitudes. So we see this revealing over and over and over again. And then we get to the end of chapter, uh, chapter 6. We see in verse 60, Jesus say this. He had gone through, and he's talking about the, the bread of life. And that he was the eternal bread of life. And when many of his disciples heard his teaching. They said, you know, this is, a, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can, who can deal with this? Who can understand that, that, that Jesus is the bread of life? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Spirit and life. 
The words are Jesus of Jesus are life-giving. That if you believe on His words, that you will have life. And that's what John was trying to unfold over and over and over again. But look at verse 66. Many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus asked His 12 apostles, do you want to go away with me go away from me as well and Simon's Peter response is this response that I pray that we have at the revelation of knowing who Jesus is Lord to whom shall we go to whom shall we go Lord you have the words of eternal life where shall I go do I go into the world no will I go back to my flesh no it has evil desires and chase after all sorts of crazy things. No, you have the words of life. And something happened. They believed. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the revelation that, that Jesus, that John is trying to paint for those that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And the only way that we have life is through Him. But then we see pretty quickly that there's a revival. There's opposition. There's a revolt. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. They're in the Feast of Booths, and uh, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has uh, learning when, he hasn't ne- when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he would know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So we know that they're seeking to kill him. He's aware of this. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, uh, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath, and if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Is he just... Healed a man from sickness? Verse 25, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? That they revile? That they criticize? That they believe has a demon? What do you believe? That's what he asked them. He said, What do you believe? Moses gave you everything you wanted and you wouldn't believe then. Jesus comes on the scene and I tell you that I am, I am the Son of God in the flesh and you seek to destroy me. So he uses Moses as an example. He goes to chapter 8, verse 31. He uses Abraham as an example. And they seek to destroy him. 
Then John chapter 10. Twenty-four through thirty-one. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. You think, what, what would be my response to that? Fall on my knees before Him? As being the one, the Messiah, who has promised to come from beginning in Genesis chapter 3? That we fall on our knees before Him, that we would do that? Or would we do as the Jewish leaders did? Verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. They want to stone Him for His blasphemy. For teaching that He was actually equal with God. They couldn't get past their own blindness to who Jesus was. And I wonder, I don't know if you ever put yourself in the story, you ever include yourself, I wonder what I would have done. You know, I, I bet I would have believed if I was there that day. If I was there through Jesus' three years of ministry on the earth, I bet I would have believed. You know how many people were in the upper room in the beginning of Acts that were left over after resurrection and the ascension? 120 people. So it's a little less than probably are what in this room this morning, right? That was what was gathered in the upper room after Jesus' ministry. And I'm sure there was more who believed that he appeared to over 500 in the book of Acts. But would I have believed? Would I have submitted and bowed my knee in those moments? But I'm thankful for God's word that gives us clear evidence of who Christ is. So we see reviling over his power as he raises Lazarus. We see, uh, and then we see the, uh, the, the response. Look at John. Go back to John 6 with me. Something amazing happens in the beauty of John 6, right? 66 through 71. You are the Holy One of God. I just read it. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? He's talking about Judas Iscariot. One of you is going to betray me. One of these is not going to believe. One of these is going to be darkened because of their own selfish ambition. So there was a response by faith and by joy. John 13, I'll just uh, go to John 13 with me for a second. I, just, I love this story because you, you get a great view of who Simon Peter was. Who was zealous for truth, but also just zealous for the sake of being zealous sometimes, not in wisdom. So Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And he was showing them how to serve. And he, said, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward you will understand. 
Peter said to him, shall never wash my feet. Shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash your feet, I do not, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Right? We get this great glimpse into, into Jesus breaking Peter down. A response of faith by Peter to go, yes, you are the Christ. That if I can have no share with you, then I want you to do everything you can to, to bring me in to eternal glory. So you can have my whole body, Lord, is what he's saying. You can have my whole body. And then we see in John chapter 17 a beautiful prayer of Jesus to the Father. We see betrayal and conviction and death unfolding. We see the resurrection in John chapter 20. And then again we see the purpose in John 20, 30 through 31. And then we get this beautiful epilogue in the back. So turn, turn with me to John 21. John 21. We'll go to verse 20 here. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? But when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Talking about the one whom Jesus loved. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread about abroad, the brothers, that this disciple whom Jesus loved, was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? It's none of your business, Peter, is what he's saying. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. This is John talking about himself. He is the one whom Jesus loved and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. That John's testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's an, that's an amazing thought. There's not enough books to contain the works that Jesus did while he was on the earth. That We only catch a glimpse of them here in the Synoptic Gospels. What I am bearing to you, what, is, what I am telling you is true. This testimony is true. That John wants you to understand and identify that Jesus is the Messiah. That He is the Son of God. And so I want to take a few minutes and talk about John. I want to talk about John because he's the writer of the book. His life was transformed by being with Jesus in miraculous, in miraculous ways. 
And we're going to see that there is a progression in John's life based on what, based on his time with Jesus. Galatians says that John was a pillar in the church, in the Jerusalem church. John is the brother of James, and they were referred to as the sons of Zebedee. Or, as Jesus referred to them, the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. Why would they be referred to as the sons of thunder? By, by giving them this name, Jesus gives us a glimpse into the personality of John. He gives us a glimpse into uh, the characteristics of John as someone with zeal and passion and ambition, being a son of thunder, which in the early days with Jesus came across as reckless, came across as aggressive, came across as selfish and unloving. That was John, the writer of this book. He was selfish. He was ambitious for the wrong things. He was a zealot towards the wrong passions. Look at Mark. Just back a little bit more. Uh, back towards the front of the book. Mark. Second book of the New Testament. Mark 9. Verse 38. We're going to get a couple glimpses of John in his early days of ministry. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you have belonged to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus reminds John, be careful. Be careful. Shall, shall, we, shall we rebuke him? Shall we stop him? And Jesus is like, no, don't stop him. Because he is speaking in my name. Look at Mark 10, 35 through 40. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And James and John said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Like This takes some bravado, right? This is going to the very Son of God, God in the flesh, and going, hey, Jesus, like when we get to heaven, how about we sit at your right hand and your left? How about we are, we are prime, we are first among all the others, that we would sit in your right hand and your left? Does that not tell you something about who John is? That he, he was selfish for his own glory and not necessarily for the glory of Christ? And Jesus reminds him, are you able to do what, what I'm able to do? And they foolishly said, yes. And Jesus said, you know, you will be able to, you will be, you will suffer as I have suffered. The cup that I have drank, you will drink. So 
So John was known as one who was zealous in his youth. And his outward expressions demonstrated his immaturity. Look at Luke 9, one last verse. So just to your right a little bit. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to, to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? James and John were willing to offer judgment on those who had reviled Jesus. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He rebuked them in their unkindness. He rebuked them in their unloving ways. And we see this demonstration of John's immaturity. But as John aged, we can clearly see that he matured well. We can see in his own writing the desire for love and humility. So much so that John is referred to as the apostle of love. And as we already said, the one whom Jesus loved. Not only that, Jesus saw enough in John to ask him while he was on the cross to take care of his own mother, and John brings her to his house. So something along the way, something transformed, something has happened in John that sanctified him to take him from being someone who was immature and zealous for the wrong things and selfish for his own ambition and his own glory to allow Jesus to say, no, you will take in my own mother and you will care for her. So we see John actually change so much that the depictions of him in secular society, like the picture of him and at the Lord's Supper, is he's against Jesus' bosom, always portrays him as someone who is weak and much too gentle of an apostle. But that, that wasn't John at all. John was still zealous. He was zealous for truth. He wanted you to believe that Jesus is truth. No other person, listen to me, no other person outside of Jesus spoke more about truth than the Apostle John. Twenty times in the, in the book of John itself, he mentions the word truth. The one that we see, even see here in chapter 20. Seventeen times in first, second, and third John, Jesus, I mean John points to truth. He mentions the word aletheia, truth. So as we consider the gospel of John, I don't want us to miss that the writer of this gospel was 100 percent confident that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed it to the fullest and it absolutely changed who he was. It transformed him. And so what does, that, what does that do for us? What does that do for us? A couple of things. And I believe Jared in his sermon last week covered this topic well. So if you haven't listened to that sermon, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that sermon. 
But I want to I want to I want to take away with this is that in our zeal for truth, in our zeal for wisdom, in our zeal for knowledge, that we must always balance ourselves with a true love for others. Because as 1 Corinthians tells us, we become a clanging symbol if not. That if we do these things, all these things that we seek truth and wisdom and knowledge, but have not love, we are a clanging symbol. The other thing I want you to ask yourself is this. Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Matthew, Mark, and Luke record a conversation between Jesus and the apostles. He asked them, who do people say that I am? The apostles respond back, John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe one of the prophets, we don't really know. So then Jesus asked them another question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? To which Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The question to you this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? My other question to you this morning is this. If you do believe this, are you living like it? Are you living like God has transformed your life through Jesus? Can other people recognize how God has worked in your life as you can see in John? You see the progression in John. You see the change. You see the sanctification over time of when he believed in Jesus. Something started to happen. Something started to transform. As Jesus rebuked him, as Jesus taught him, as Jesus helped him, I wonder if we're willing to do the same. If we're willing to let Jesus transform us into his image. One important takeaway here is that when you believe that you may have life in his name, there's life in no other. There is no eternal life in any other name. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Do you believe this? And are you acting like it? As the musicians come, as they start to make their way up, just want to point out a couple other things. That John's Gospel, he does not write of Jesus' parables. John doesn't teach in parables. I mean, John doesn't give us Jesus' parables as Matthew, Mark, and Luke does. But John focuses on a couple of things. The identity of Jesus and who he was. And his unique relationship with the Father. John knew who Jesus was. Because he believed. Because he saw. Because he saw what was true. And we must also believe and respond as it's true. So let's respond to this as we think about this. I I just encourage you this morning. And if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, that today is the day of salvation. 
John believe this, that there are others in this room who believe this. And they can help you figure it out. But also, for those who have believed this, to ask yourself this question, am I living in light of what is true? Or am I still trying to live out my fleshly desires? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. I pray that you would, as we read through it, as we study it, that you would continue to reveal to us uh, who Jesus is. That we would identify ourselves uh, with him, as united with him in, uh, through Christ Jesus, to God the Father. It's his name we pray.